Well, I want to share with you a story. Uh, young Cyrus McCormick. Anybody heard of the name McCormick before? In relation to Chicago, what is it, McCormick Place? Very good. Well, Cyrus wasn't the one it was named after. He had a relative further on called Colonel Robert, I believe it was, who um, actually was with the Tribune and, and started the McCormick Place for events and things such as that. But young Cyrus McCormick actually began in, in New England area with his father, John, and they were out tilling, working the fields one, one day, and as it began harvest time, they started into the first of what was a number of fields, and they were doing it kind of um, with one sickle. And young Cyrus said to his father, you know, if, if, we, could, if we could harvest more, we could plant more. It's kind of a novel idea. But what was holding it back was the power that they needed to harvest more. So his father um, kind of turned to him, as, as good fathers do at times, instead of saying, that's a stupid thought or something like that. He chuckled and he said, well, if you can figure a better way, then be my guest. Well, that began to ignite in him a heart and also in his father, because his father as well, they began to test these things. And his father wasn't alive when Cyrus finally built what was a five-sickle reaper. It was put on two wheels, and he finally figured it out. And that five-sickle reaper, um, some of you who are younger kids, when you think of reaper, all you probably think of is grim reaper and things such as that, right? This guy comes in a dark-hooded thing. and Really, the reaping was done in the fields, and they would do it by hand, or they would, they, some were beginning to do it just a bit by, with horse, but at this time... He actually put together this powerful machine that allowed for them to do much more harvesting, which meant they could do more planting, which meant they could bring greater increase. And uh, Cyrus Hall McCormick was given um, uh, notoriety for that. And he actually founded the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company, which later became International Harvester Company. And now you know the rest of the story. No, I'm just kidding. So why do I bring that up? Because I believe so often that in our own lives and as in a church, there is a desire for God to use us to impact this world around us. There's a desire to be significant. There's a desire to do something with what God has given us that will cause more people to have an understanding of the deep love that God has for us. And some of you may be here and you're kind of coming to the church, kicking the tires, saying, what is this all about? And, you know, we're very human. We're all very fallen people, but we all have one deep understanding, and that is God loved us so much that he sent Jesus so that we could have a life with him and begin to know through his spirit what it means to walk with him. Right? But what's really cool is that Jesus, as he begins to deeply um, change our inner self and, our, and, and begins to build a security of the sense of his love in our hearts, that love begins to overflow into other people's lives. And one of the things that I've wrestled with for a long time, I said, God, you know, we need, we need more truth, but we also need more power. We need your spirit. I've said many times um, over the last number of years, and as I've looked at the church, and I sometimes have looked at people, and I said, what if we just got sick and tired? Kevin, what if I got sick and tired of trying to do in my strength that which can only be done in God's strength? I want you to think about that for a second. What if we got sick and tired of trying to do in our strength, which means in all our gifts and all our resources and all the things that we can bring to the table, which doesn't mean you don't use them, but what if you came to a point where you said, you know, all that we could bring really is not going to move a whole lot. It's like a one sickle harvest. But what if we said 
This incredible gift of the Holy Spirit you've given us, God. You came and by your Holy Spirit, you began to take the very things that we long in our hearts to do. In fact, you began to do things within us that we couldn't even think of or dream of. You began to empower us with ways in, in, in doing things that we couldn't do in our own. And what if you exploded like a five-sickle harvester? Not for our glory, not for our good. But so a lot of people might know what it means to have the love of God in their heart. God uses all the gifts we bring him, and he wants us to bring our whole self to him. But the bottom line, the things that really push things forward in the kingdom of God are the things that are done by the power of the Spirit. Now, saying all that, I want you to follow with me. I, I gave this, I usually give these sermons to Paul Bierhauser, to Andrea Haveisen, and they put them on these slides for me. And I got a call last night and said, do you know how many slides there are of scripture verses today? We're never going to get through them all, you know, because I like to comment on every one of them. Well, I'm going to, I have to try and discipline myself not to comment on all these verses because I, all I really want you to do is see a pattern that is throughout Scripture. It really hit me in a new way just a number of years back. I was reading through Scripture, and especially the book of Luke and Acts, and I began to see this pattern. And you, you can't see it unless you read through Scripture together. So you, I hope you're not bored in reading this with me. But there is this incredible pattern where you have a demonstration of God's power. People go, ah, wow. And people are so moved by it that they respond and they can't help but tell other people about what God is doing. And it gives them a sense of boldness. They're not they're not in the you don't see in the New Testament sitting around taking um, classes on evangelism to try and get better to be able to share your faith. They're just so filled with the love of God and seeing the power of God that they can't help but going out in boldness and telling people about Jesus and this love that God has for. us. So let's begin this pattern. The ministry of Jesus. I want to show you the pattern in the ministry of Jesus. Don't write this off and say, well, Jesus was Jesus. He had, you know, he was fully God and we're not fully God. We aren't. But you know what? Jesus was fully God and yet he was fully man. And when you read through the Gospels, you'll see again and again how the author wants to make it very clear that Jesus was dependent on the same Holy Spirit that you and I are dependent on. We will not be perfect windows of God's grace and love. We will not be perfect demonstrators of God's power and grace. But we have that ability to be, as I said a number of weeks ago, portals, these portals of heaven, heaven invading earth. Luke 4, verses 1 through 4. Look at that and, and read this with me. Jesus, now you've got to catch this, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And I always want to read that and go, and he was hungry, and I go, well, duh. But Luke isn't, you know, saying that we're stupid here. He's basically wanting to make it very clear because there were people who said, you know, Jesus wasn't like us and he wasn't, didn't have the natural appetites like us. And we know that Jesus was like us in every way. And the scriptures want to make that very clear. So you want to know that after 40 days, he was starved. There was a time, though, when you read this, that God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, came upon Jesus with power in his ministry. Because if you read on and you read those verses, verse four, chapter four, verse one, Jesus, I love this. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And then he went into the desert. On July 13th, when I speak again on this, I'm going to talk more about that whole thing, that there are these desert times, part of God releasing power in people. He brings people through these desert wilderness experiences. So Jesus himself had one of these experiences where he went full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, 
But look at verse 13 and 14. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee. And you have to underline this in your Bible. Jesus returned to Galilee. Look at this. In the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He came with power. He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit before. But as he came back into this time of his ministry, God opened up the door so that he released on him a sense of power to enable him to put God on display. So it tells me right there that when Jesus was younger and you read apocryphal accounts that Jesus would take clay pigeons and he'd throw them in the air when he was 12 and they would kind of fly away. That didn't happen. There's a real sense that when Jesus began his ministry of miracles, the very first miracle that it seems that he did in a very public way was the one when he went and he changed water to wine. And he even said, yet my time hadn't come. And he said, I'm not ready to do that yet. But there was a time, I want you to note this, when the Spirit of God came upon Jesus with power. And the result was this, news about him spread through the whole countryside. You see this demonstration of power and you see the spreading of the news of Jesus. Luke 4, verses 31 through 35. They're at the synagogue. Verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Authority merely means that he authored it. It was so much so that the message and his life, you couldn't find, there was no, there was no seam even to be seen. And people who speak with authority, there's a sense that it's not just about them. There's something that their life is beginning to take on the very message that they're teaching. And Jesus lived out this message. So he taught with authority, which was so different from the people who taught from their head. He was teaching from what he knew in his heart. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. I should just make a little note here, too. Just, just for some, because I've heard sometimes people say, well, you know, what about these evil spirits in the, old, in the New Testament? Are they really evil spirits? Luke was a medical doctor trained by the Harvard of his day, and he would, if you go through here, there's a certain time he'll make sure it's a sickness, and there's certain, he'll make sure that it's an evil spirit, and he wants you to know the difference, because he knew the difference. Okay. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you do? Want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all, and he came out without injuring him. Look at this. Here's the pattern. Demonstration of power. Verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to one another, What is his teaching with authority and, look at this, power? He gives orders to evil spirits that they come out. Verse 37. See the pattern? And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Have, any, have you ever done this in your own personal study? Okay, good, then maybe it won't be boring. If you look at Luke 4.42, if you watch this, and I won't make all the different stops along the way, but it's always interspersed with a pattern, pattern of prayer. Luke is very careful to show that all of Jesus' ministry was a ministry where he, he ministered in the power of God, and God did these things, and then he would pull away in order to be filled up and be dependent and be in, in relationship with his Father so that he could hear from his Father and then go out and do the things the Father asked him to do. So at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. People were looking for him. Luke 5, verse 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 14 is a demonstration of power. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell him. Um, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. said, I'm willing. He said, be clean. 
and the leprosy immediately left him. And he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go down to verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But verse 16, but Jesus, look at this, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. See this pattern throughout the scripture? Luke 5, 17. Here's just an awareness of God's power. One day he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And this you got to note. And the power of the Lord was present. Underline it. Was present for him to heal the sick. Well, what does that tell you? It means there were times when he was walking in the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, where the power of God wasn't present. He had some kind of awareness of when he was in this sense of the power, and it was present for him to do what God called him to do, his father. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we've seen remarkable things today. Go to Luke 6, verses 17 through 20. This is another statement of power. He went down with them, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of disciples was there, and a great number from all over Judea and from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. Now, look at verse 19. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Luke 7. Uh, you know, I should just, it's kind of almost like, I look at this and it's almost like there's a current, isn't it? That kind of gets turned up and on. And Anyway, Luke 7, verses 11 through 17, he raises a widow's son. Verses 11 through 15 is the demonstration of power. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, look at the... When the Lord saw her, right now Jesus is looking down at certain people. And he sees right into your heart. He knows the burden. He knows what's going on. And he has this. His heart went out to her. I just want you to think about that for a second. That's how much Jesus loves you. Even right now, his heart goes out to you. And he said to her, don't cry. He was moved. And he went up and touched the coffin, something you wouldn't do because it made you unclean. But Jesus wasn't into rules of man. He was into the work of God, which meant his spirit would lead him to do the things that were right at that moment. And those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Look at verse 16, the pattern. Demonstration of power, and they were filled with awe, and they praised God. Great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. In verse 17, the response. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and throughout the surrounding countryside. Luke 8, a demonstration of power, verses 40 through about verse 45. When Jesus was returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his home because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. As Jesus went on his way, was on his way to, to go to this, the crowds almost crushed him. Can you just see this? Have you ever been in a situation? I went to a Cub game once, opening day. And by now you all know I'm a big Cub fan. Anyway, they're, they're in first place, by the way. Anyway, um, I remember going in 
and I got pushed in a crowd, and I wasn't moving my feet. I was being pushed. It was the most terrifying experience. I felt like I was being crushed. He was almost crushed by the crowd, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She'd gone everywhere. She came up behind him, and she was just thinking, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak. And immediately when she did, her bleeding stopped. Which is a funny statement when you're being crushed. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And they all denied it. And Peter said, come on, people are crowding around you. Everybody's touching you. And he said, no. There was someone here right now who touched me in faith and trust and believed that I could meet their need. In the same way Jesus looks down in your heart and he sees what's going on, there are some people here who are looking back with him. Maybe you never have before. But you're saying, maybe it's possible. Maybe this is Jesus. Maybe if I just, if I began to reach out and I began to open my heart and I began to touch out to this God, Maybe this God, and there's a whole room of people that said, yes, this God will. He will meet your need. And so he goes on. He says, Jesus said, someone touched me. I know, look at this, that power has gone out from me. I just want you to look at this relationship of power, and, and you'll see it in relation to the Holy Spirit. Luke 9, verses 1 through 12. 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Here he commissions his disciples, and he says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, look at power first and authority. To drive out all the demons and cure the diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now I want you to note in Acts chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, Peter is he's speaking to Cornelius. And I've used this verse a number of times when we're talking about doing good in the community. But you need to note this, that, that, that Peter makes this comment in verse 37. You know what's happened all throughout Judea, Cornelius. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Look at this. With the Holy Spirit. And power. And how he went around doing good. I love that. So what we're called to do is just go around doing good. And that there's times when that I think God wants to, if we have faith and we trust, God to release the power of his spirit through us. Now, I don't know what that means in occasions, what that's going to look like, but I just want to be open to it. And so if you look at that, we'll go on to the next thing. Let's look at power in the ministry of the church. In the early church, the book of Acts, Luke writes, he begins really in Luke chapter 24, verse 29. Here is Jesus giving instructions to his disciples, the church, to come. And he makes this very clear to them. He says, I'm going to send you to you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with, what's the word? Power from on high. Acts 1.8, Jesus reiterates his instructions once again. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which I really believe the whole reason for power is not that we can be convinced of our faith. The whole reason for God demonstrating his power is not so that we can get some kind of higher some kind of kick or somehow we can get people look at us. But the whole reason for power is that God is put on display and people go, man, God's there. God's real. God's at work. Acts 2, verses 43 through 47. Here's a picture of the early church. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Drop down to verse 47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at the underline. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a demonstration of power. There's a sense of awe. And there's this, there's this resulting sense of people beginning to share boldly and people beginning to come and be added to the, to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 3, verse 10. Verses 9, 1 through 9 tells about a cripple beggar who was healed, which caused a lot of problem because now the uh, Jewish ruling council came against 
um, the disciples for this. But if you read verse 9, it says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, verse 10, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder, awe, and amazement at what had happened. The story continues in Luke, in Acts chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. As a result of this, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And the next day, rulers, elders, teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and a whole bunch of other ones. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And look at what their, their question is. By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak to him. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Enable your servants um, is what they begin to pray after this whole experience has occurred. And they feel that now there are within the, the, the Pharisees and the ruling Sanhedrin and the, and the religious system of that day, which they were um, breaking apart of because God was doing something new, began to oppose them and oppose them in, in very, very um, persecuting kind of ways. And so you get to verse 29 after the whole thing. They've been praying for Peter and for John to be set free and says, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And look what they ask for. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Demonstrate your power. Put yourself on display. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. To verse 33 in chapter 4, they shared Jesus then with great power. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 5, let's continue this pattern. Verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's where they did their worship service. No one else dared to join them. Now there's an awe because what had happened was, Oh, I won't go into this whole story. Anyway, there's an awe because there's a respect and fear of God that you, you know, he's, he's not playing games. He also calls people to live a life of truth and integrity. Verse 14 says, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought their sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. And some of them as they passed by. Now, that's just almost weird in our world. Crowds gathered also from all the from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts six eight. Stephen, full of God's grace, it says, now a man full of God's grace and what's the word and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, which always occurs whenever there's a birthing of God's spirit. And I'll talk about this again in weeks to come. Whenever there's a birthing of God's spirit, whenever God wants to come and put himself on display, and I'm not saying how he's going to do it or how he wants to do it, but whenever he does, there's opposition that comes. As I said last week, it comes from the flesh. And so here was this opposition rose. And then if you look down in verse uh, 10, it says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Acts chapter 8, 4 through 8. Philip now. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ in Christ there. Look at verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, I love this line, they all paid close attention to what he said. Yeah, it might get your attention, right? A couple miracles, a couple healings, a couple of this, and all some people are going, what's he got to say? With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, many paralytics and cripples were healed, and so there was great joy in that city. Acts 8, 32-35. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There, 
he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take your mat, and take, take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. And look at verse 35. All those who lived in Leda and Shira saw him and turned to the Lord. Demonstration of power. God put on display. And there was a result. What was the result? People paid attention. Acts chapter 9, verses 41 and 42. Peter sent them all out of the room. Here's a lady, Dorcas, who had meant much to the church. She was a person who did great good in the community, and there was a great sense of loss at her passing. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented them to her alive. And this, verse 42, became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now let me just share with you the power of ministry in the life of Paul, and then we'll conclude. Power throughout Paul's ministry was a mark, but you know what? Not always. In the beginning of Paul's ministry, there was not the same sense of power. In fact, you can see it, and this is one of my what pastors scripture I really like. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 31. It's what I call Paul gets a timeout. Paul is given a timeout by the elders of the church. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, verse 26. But they were all afraid of him, not believing what he, that he really was a disciple. They were still worried about this guy because he was before persecuting them. He was, he was against the church, and now he's coming along, and maybe they're thinking, is he just playing? Is, is this real? Barnabas takes a risk, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. It, you know, Saul stayed with them and um, moved freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So here he's in Jerusalem. Now he's beginning to speak for the Lord. Now, this is what you have to kind of know. Verse 29. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. You have to understand that Paul was a master debater. He was trained as a trial lawyer under the one of the best trial lawyers in, in, in the teachers of their day, Gamaliel. He had been trained in the sense that he knew how to debate, he knew how to reason, he knew how to put things in such a place that if you were to be in a, a discussion with him, even a very highly trained debater, he would be able to pin you down so that you would lose. How does that make you feel? I had an older brother, two years older. He's um, at Open Door, and uh, bless him. Anyway, um, you know, being two years older, you know, he had two years more of, uh, of, of intellect than I had. And I remember many times as a little kid, he would pin me down in arguments, and I would feel in my gut I knew that he wasn't right. Ever had that experience with someone? And it just created anger. There were times that he could be right, and it still created anger. I remember watching a, a, an individual, in fact, a very well-known apologist for the gospel on a TV show in, 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 uh, back in the 70s who was debating another person. And guess what? He so decimated the person in the argument that the whole crowd, even those who probably were believers, were almost turned against him because of it. Well, here's what you have. Paul is incredible. He's got it down. He's really good. He's a master debater. He's, he's stirred up tension. So finally, I like this. The brothers. It almost sounds like a, a mafia group. The brothers took action and gave him a timeout. 
They sent him to Tarsus. This is this Tarsus period of time. They don't know if it was seven years or 14 years. But basically, God was saying, you know, I love your passion. I love your energy. I love the way that you want to serve me. But, Paul, you need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. You need some time apart. You need some time to let what, I, what you know to be in your heart to be filled in the sense that you become a Spirit-controlled person. So the church goes ahead and says, take a time out. Now, I love this next passage of Scripture. As you look at verse 31. Then... The church of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. <laughs> Isn't that the greatest line? I love how real the, the Bible is. Then the church experienced, and then listen to this, it was strengthened and encouraged by who? The Holy Spirit. And what happened? Grew in numbers. Living in the respect, the reverence, and the fear of the Lord. Because they knew God was at work. Acts 17, 16 through 34. Here's a great example of Paul in his flesh again. Paul didn't always operate in the power of the Spirit, even as he began to understand how to operate in the power of the Spirit. None of us do fully, only Jesus will. But Paul is out on these mission trips, and God's doing great things through him, and he's doing great things through um, Luke and others who travel with him. But he learns a lesson in Athens that just changes his life. Listen to this. First, let me just show Athens was like, again, it was like the Oxford. It was, it was a philosophical base where people would come and they would debate ideas. So in many ways, I think Paul was really looking forward to going there. Paul gets there and he, as he says, he uses his greatest of wisdom and eloquence. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, because he, he had to get pushed away because of some persecution, he left Athens and was there by himself. He was greatly distressed to see in the city that it was full of idols. So he reasoned, nothing wrong with reason, but he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now look at verse 33 and verse 34, because they have this eloquent reasoning that they write down the scripture, which is really beautiful. But if you look at verse 33 and 34, right at the end of 33, it says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. And verse 33, at that, Paul left the council. Verse 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Just a few. This was the first place where there were minimal results. Paul leaves Athens, I believe, broken and and pretty much feeling rejected. He goes to Corinth with a resolve. He will not any longer rely on human wisdom. Doesn't mean he brings, doesn't bring human wisdom and all his strengths to bear, but it will not be on his strength any longer. He will always go in the power that was made manifest of Christ crucified, this power that comes through God through the cross. So if you look at um, this idea, he, he learns this lesson that in our flesh, in our strength, when we get sick and tired of trying to do things in our strength that we are trying even to do for God, but we get tired of it and we, we come to the point of our end Blessed are the poor, for they will what? Inherit. See, blessed are those who come to their poverty and recognize, I bring all my gifts, but it's only going to be through your spirit that this really makes a difference. And without God's power of his spirit, we fail. So Luke, look at, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Here's where Paul comments on his experience. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. Where did he come with eloquence or superior wisdom? Just one city before in Athens. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing. In fact, I was going to be really, I'm letting it all, all that I thought I had 
that I could give to God to make a difference. I just come with nothing. I recognize that's not going to do it. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I wonder if he felt, had God's spirit and the sense of his power that he had been giving to understand and experience his life, I wonder if he was even wondering whether this was going to be removed from his ministry. I just wonder about that. You know, there's times when David would say, Lord Jesus, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I think he comes into this place and I, he says, I came in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with what? Wise and persuasive words. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith, what you would be believing in, might not rest on some man's wisdom or on some man's eloquence. Or in someone's person's ability to really kind of titillate you with new things from God's word. But it might rest on what? Where it should rest. But on what? On God's power. The very fact that God sees in your heart, he knows what's going on in your life. The very fact that if you trust, if you reach out in faith, lots of people may be here today, but some may reach out in faith. And when they reach out in faith, God is available to them. I don't know how God will answer you specifically. I don't know if God will say yes and, and, and meet your need in some way that is, is fully supernaturally miraculous or in some way where he through natural means meets your need or if he calls you to wait and he says, I'm not going to do anything, or he might even say no. I don't know, but I do know that God is sufficient. And I do know that our faith is resting not on some person who, who speaks from a pulpit, not from some people who play in a worship, whether it be songs that are sung or hymns that are, that are done. But it is in one thing and one thing only, and it's that there's a God who is available to us who wants to demonstrate this fact that if we will be full of the Spirit, which means we will open ourselves up and say, God, we want you more than anything. We want to be led by your Spirit. And we want your power. You can say amen. You know, one thing I'm learning is that you're a very vocal congregation. From the first day I came here, I would often have people would come up and they'd, they'd give me instructions on, on ways to do things with the messages. Well, that's settled down a little bit. But we'll sing hymns and I'll hear a shout or someone will be announcing it. You know what? We really have that ability to, you know, to communicate. And I love that about you. But I want to tell you something. I believe this in my heart so much. I've been praying about whether even to talk about this, but to say, I really believe God wants to come with power. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that he loves the people around here. He loves you. And he wants to put himself on display. He wants people to be trusting in him and his power. And we are just vessels to make it open for people to experience that. And I think, as I said a few weeks ago, when I gave you that illustration, remember Bono, where he said, you know, how come he you know, chose, they said, well, how come God chose you to do this work for AIDS and all this stuff? And he said, well, I just felt like I was like Jacob. Esau went and sold it, but Jacob said, God, I really want it. And God is still looking for people whose hands are held up saying, I really want you. More than my own preferences and more than my own desires and and I just want to say this as a congregation, we're going through stuff. We're learning how to, to walk together to bring some things, I think, into a, a time where we're, we're seeking to develop a multi-generational um, church that has a heart for the next generation. And I know it's not easy, but I'm just going to encourage you, don't walk in the flesh. I don't care what side of the course you're on. Don't call names. Don't, don't, don't talk about hymns or don't talk about choruses in ways like, that are pejorative and negative. Don't give Satan any room 
to do anything here. Amen. Let's be a body. Let's be the family of God. Let's learn to love one another's tastes and let's move through this together. And let's not do anything that will hinder the power of God's spirit, who I believe wants to give birth here. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close with just um, I just want you to prayerfully think about this for a second. And just with your head bowed, if you feel comfortable doing that and your eyes closed. I mean, I just want to raise a lot of questions right now when you read through this, and it probably does. I just want you to ask, is the spirit of God willing to come with power today or was this just good history? Could we be full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and yet not have yet seen the release of God's power by the Spirit? Not that it hasn't been at times, but may there be a sweeping power. Do we, like the early church, need to stay and pray for God to clothe us with power? Could we, like Paul, be doing too much from God's with with really good intentions and in our own strength? And may it be that some of the tough in our life in the past, whether in this church or in our own personal lives, God has been testing us, putting us in a wilderness because he's ready and waiting to pour out his spirit with power. Amen.